section sixty two of the united states this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org the world's story volume thirteen the united states edited by eva march tappan section sixty two on the underground railway about eighteen fifty eight by francis grierson the following selections are from the boyhood recollections of a famous english author and musician who was brought up on the illinois prairie underground railway was a name given to the secret arrangement by which escaped slaves were taken from one anti-slavery man to another until they reached canada or some other place of safety and freedom the editor on certain evenings my father would sit before the big open fireplace and watch with unalloyed satisfaction the burning logs he would see pictures in the blazing wood and he had a science of his own in the mingling of different logs how well that dried hickory burns with the damp walnut he would say taking the tongs and shifting the pieces now a little more to the front now a little farther back he taught me to see castles people and faces in the flames and embers and i knew what colours to expect from the different woods he kept some that were full of sap that would burn slowly others were split up to dry while sitting before the fire on a clear bracing night my father was wont to forget every care and abandon himself to the pure pleasures of the hearth he would dream of the past of friends in the old country and more than once he would remark to me taking the tongs and pointing there's a face that reminds me of poor so-and-so he loved to revisit the old familiar scenes while the fire gave them momentary life and set them before him in frames of gold and flaming opal then he would tell me stories of the wild animals of the old homestead of the tracks of the marten in the snow and how he discovered its hiding-place of a memorable fox-hunt when one of his friends held the fox up by the tail and another friend cried out from a distance don't hurt the fox don't hurt the fox and of his sojourn in paris during the reign of louis philippe at such times my mother added a spirit of cheerfulness by some joyful exclamation such as there's a letter in the candle as if the simple expression in itself would assist the arrival of good news from afar and when i looked i saw a large flaming blot on the side of the wick pointing toward us i cannot remember whether the letters arrived as the candle so often announced but how vividly i recollect the night when i lay awake in the next room and heard my parents discuss the uncertainty of the future the imminent need of funds to carry on the work of the farm and the possibility of failure and ruin such conversations occurred after the other members of the family had gone to bed but i heard everything and night after night i listened to those talks and racked my brain 
wondering how it would all end my distress was even greater than that of my mother for she knew what i did not and she could still hope after such talks the quivering song of the cricket dotted the stillness with an accent of deeper melancholy while the heavy pendulum slowly measured out the minutes between midnight and the dismal twilight of dawn we were all sitting quietly together the evening after my visit to the load-bearer's home my mother with the bible in her lap the only book she ever read while in the log-house my father reading a newspaper containing an account of a recent speech by abraham lincoln my mother's face looked paler and more pensive than usual for some days previous to this my father had had a misunderstanding with one of the settlers the only weapon in the house was a double-barrelled gun and even this stood unloaded against the wall in a corner of the sitting-room no dog was kept on the place for the reason that a dog was regarded as one of the things most likely to cause trouble with the neighbours the wind was blowing across the prairie from the east my mother seemed apprehensive and i must have caught some of the thoughts which filled her mind with gloomy presentiments during a lull of the wind a sound reached us from the prairies it might have been a shout or a call how vividly it all comes before me now she looked inquiringly at my father who was absorbed in his newspaper and heard nothing i needed no words to tell me what she was thinking her face assumed a grave and anxious look i was hoping the sound might be nothing more than the noise of belated travellers passing on horseback when we heard it again like a confused mumbling menace this time a little nearer still disguised in the muffled wind she walked into the next room greatly agitated but instantly returned and began to read in the prayer-book my father had just put aside his newspaper when a low hollow murmur came from the prairie what can it be asked my mother in a voice scarcely audible without answering he went into the next room for the ammunition took the gun from the corner and began to load with buckshot it seemed to me he had never looked so tall so grim so determined as when he rammed the wadding down with the ramrod then he went to the front door and listened my mother sat with closed eyes like one in a trance until it seemed to me as if by some unaccountable hocus-pocus we had been thrust into a world where pantomime and mystery had taken the place of speech and we were waiting for some sudden and terrible stroke of destiny what was going to happen was it the end of all things at the log-house my father decided not to go out by the front way and after the light was removed he opened the kitchen door and stood outside in the dark the moon is just rising said my mother in a half whisper looking through the window of the front room then i looked and as the clouds drifted by i saw the moon in the shape of a gleaming scythe a sudden chill of autumn had come to the house she hurried out to beg my father to come in but he was creeping from corner to corner and from tree to tree with the gun held before him cocked and ready for that deadly aim for which he was so well known after going as far as the smoke-house and waiting there some time he returned he thought the sounds must have been due to some prowling animal he was about to give up further search when the moaning was again heard out a little beyond the trees and then 
as my mother stood trembling at the door a voice shouted don't shoot massa don't shoot for de lord's sake don't ye shoot my father went straight toward the voice we done lost massa someone shouted as soon as he reached the open we is lookin for massa guest's place come in come in my father came back into the kitchen with two negro fugitives where have you been mass snedecker done drap us ober dere said one of the negroes pointing west he was running you off yes massa and finding he was chased let you down and so you got lost yes massa just then a loud knocking at the front door came with terrible suddenness for during the talk and confusion no one had heard any noise in the road my father took his gun and standing at one side of the door asked who was there isaac snedeker answered a familiar voice open went the door and in rushed ike snedeker one of the most intrepid souls that ever risked death for the sake of conscience a man stood before us who had never known fear one glance at his face would be enough to make an enemy stop and think twice before coming to close quarters with such a being he was courage incarnate with the shaggy head of a lion the sharp invisible eye of an eagle the frame of an athlete the earnestness of a convinced reformer his hair stood out thick and bushy and his bearded face with the upper lip clean-shaven gave to the whole countenance a massive formidable look that inspired every fugitive with confidence and struck fear into the hearts of his secret foes i've lost two runaways he said as he walked through to the kitchen had to let them out of the wagon over there near the maple grove we were followed i think they are here said my father and i came near shooting one of them by mistake i directed them to come this way as near as i could hoping they would strike through the prairie at this place my mother was now bringing the fugitive something to eat when isaac snedeker said peremptorily come along it's now or never we've got to get to brother guests with that load before midnight you see i've had to gather em up here and there in different places and i have in the wagon out there two lots one sent over by ebenezer carter and the other by brother wolcott if we get caught it'll be the first time but they'd get a haul that would amount to something i've got fourteen altogether the two fugitives left without having time to drink a cup of coffee and we all went to the road to see them off the wagon was full of frightened trembling runaways negroes mulattoes octoroons not a moment was lost isaac snedeker had only to speak to his horses a fine powerful team to send them going at a great speed down the road toward the appointed meeting-place at elihu guests we went back into the house where my mother sank exhausted into a rocking-chair but she had still another ordeal to go through prayers had been said and we were all about to retire for the night when the noise of galloping horses and men talking could be heard in the road one moment of suspense followed another footsteps were heard near the kitchen door then there came a light and somewhat timid rapping as if the persons outside were not certain about this being the right place my father opened this time without asking who was there two disreputable-looking men 
stood before him one of them scowling at us through the door like some ferocious animal they carried pistols and dirks their eyes were shaded by slouched hats that partly concealed the upper part of their faces so that for all we knew they might have been neighbours living at no great distance from the log-house have ye seen any runaways hangin round hya asked the elder man looking up from under his hat and with an expression that told of a fearful admixture of malicious cunning and moral cowardice i have answered my father who delegated you to look for them the fellow hesitated then he stammered be you a fire-eating abolitionist i have voted for abraham lincoln once if that is what you mean by being an abolitionist ye ain't been long in this country observed the younger man long enough to become an american citizen and vote this surprised them they looked confused but they braced themselves for a final effort we're arter them runaways and we don't calculate to leave hya without taking em along they went from here some time ago so you'll have to look elsewhere if you want to find them let's go over to the barn said the elder of the two they started for the barn but stopped just beyond the big locust tree and i heard the words say jake i don't like the look of that old britisher no more do i he'll shoot the fust thing we know he's got something mighty juberous in that eye o hisn not another word was said they wheeled about made for the road mounted their horses and were off they had been cowed and disarmed by my father's coolness his independence by his towering height and a scorn that was withering to the two slave-hunting villains end of section sixty two this recording is in the public domain